Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Welcome to the first episode of Actuarial People, and I'm extremely pleased to uh, be joined by John Harney. Hi, James. Thank you so, so much um, for having me. And I think it's 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 really special to be on the, the first episode as well. So, um, yeah, looking forward to uh, a great conversation. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being brave and uh, helping me get the podcast launched. So, John, we'll go into your, your backstory and uh, your career to date. But I just wondered for the listeners if you could give a brief overview of who you are and uh, and what you do today. Yes. Um, so I'm a senior consultant in Aon's UK pensions team. Um, specifically, I work with sponsors of some of those big defined benefit pension schemes. Um, but also, I, I suppose I, I work across lots of different areas. I do some work for trustees of those schemes. And also, I, I dabble um, in some of the, the, the wider areas of pensions as well. Um, I'm also a passionate person on LinkedIn. I, I love posting regularly there as well. Um, so that's kind of, I consider it part of my job, but equally, I just like doing it. Um, so yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Brilliant. Yeah, I love your approach to LinkedIn. Always a pleasure to see your messages. I think you post daily. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I don't always post daily. It might seem like daily. <laughs> <laughs> it might seem like I'm spamming your feed. But um, yeah, I, I like to post consistently um, kind of about pensions generally and general kind of work life balance and all those type of things as well so yeah thanks for your your kind words brilliant well we'll come back to that um a bit later and um, where i want to start is at the very beginning so i'm curious to know if you cast your mind back when was the first time that you discovered that actuaries even existed so the first time i heard of an actuary was actually speaking to my career guidance teacher in school um, i would have been 15 or 16 at the time And we were very fortunate that our career guidance teacher set aside an hour for every single student in my year to talk about career options. And she mentioned to me that I was I was good at maths. And she also said, you seem to like business. So why wouldn't you think about being an actuary? Um, And when she kind of gave me a brief overview about trying to predict the future, the financial future using maths, I thought, yeah, let's let's give that a go. And when I look back, and I'm going to show my age here, James, I remember I wrote a letter. I typed it up on Microsoft Word on one of those big chunky computers back in the day and printed it off and sent it off. And obviously, I'm, as you can tell from my accent, I'm from Ireland. So I sent it all the way over to, I think it was Edinburgh at the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries and said, can you tell me more about being an actuary? And I got this fantastic parcel full of booklets and information and everything and I remember crawling through it learning all about it I, I probably knew more back then about being an actuary than I do now and um, I was a very 
are the very motivated um, young fellas. So um, that's kind of how I learned and 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 got into the the. I suppose the mindset of becoming an actuary and I did a couple of very short placements as well um, in Dublin in kind of um, in consultancies and insurance companies as well when I was 15, 16, 17. Again, I don't know where the motivation came from, but I did it anyway and, and really enjoyed it. Oh, brilliant. Because yeah, when, I, when I look online to try and find what information is out there, if people are thinking of becoming an actuary, there's a few sites that, that, that come to mind. But I've always wondered, how clear is it? Do you actually know particularly if you dig into pensions versus life versus GI or investment, how much do people really know before their first day? But it sounds as though you, by being proactive, got a greater insight than perhaps others might have done. I think so. I think I might have. But equally, because the profession is evolving, constantly evolving, when you think of when it was first instituted to now, how different it is. And even since I joined the industry to now, what, what's actually taking up the majority of my time are things that weren't even thought about back then. So even within the niche of pensions, it's it's evolved. So I think I think you're right. I think there's a huge, um, I suppose, gap in the market, for want of a better word, for, for conversations like this about hearing stories of, of actuaries and how we can apply our general problem-solving abilities and our business acumen to to I suppose help our clients help the world um all of the above so yeah it's 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 a it's an interesting and really I think fast-paced evolving profession and one that I'm delighted to be part of brilliant so you 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 did your research you were proactive you you gained a little bit of experience with a couple of companies um how do you go from there to getting your first proper job to so to speak Yes. So proper job. I love that term. (laughs) Um, So I then decided that I would do um, one of the the two actuarial degrees that were kind of on the menu in the Republic of Ireland at the time. There's there's since been new ones added. Um, So I, I... kind of again did some research there's a theme here yep. isn't there I'm a bit of a typical actuary doing all my research and um yeah so I, I I opted to attend Dublin City University and did their actuarial degree there and I absolutely loved it and one of the key things I really liked about it was that you spent quite a significant chunk of time doing some work experience um, which I relished and really really enjoyed um so I did that. That was a four-year degree. And then I was very fortunate to um, secure a graduate placement then, um, even before I graduated um, with with one of the, the, the large consultancies. Um, so, yeah, very fortunate that I suppose up to that point of getting the first proper job, it was all very much kind of plain sailing, quite linear, um, very actuarial, I suppose. Yeah. Right. And then you went from there. Did you? Is that when you first joined a consultancy full-time or did you do anything else first? So I started off, yes, at a consultancy. I, again, probably from some of my my research and my ex, my industry experience as part of my degree had been with, with a, an insurer. So I kind of assessed things and thought, actually, I think my strengths probably lie more in the consulting space. Um, 
as you can probably tell, I'm a bit of a talker. So uh, <laughs> it, it helps um, for the consultancy roles. Um, so yeah, that was my first role kind of properly. Um, and it was in consultancy. Um, but I suppose jumping ahead a little bit, and I might be preempting a question from from you, James, because um, I know we've we've discussed my, my path before. Um, but I, I stayed in that role for about a year. Um, and then I actually took a bit of a, a a crazy turn. Somebody, someone might say. Um, and actually, I left the actuarial profession for about five years, um, and I was considering becoming a Catholic priest. Um, so a very, very different sort of a, a life choice. And I say life choice deliberately because it's about more than a career. Um, so yeah, I spent five years, which seems like a long time to train and think about something and then ultimately not go ahead with it. Um, but that's how long it took me again, all the research. Um, so for five years, I, I dipped out of the actuarial world. Um, and then I was very fortunate to be able to slot right back in, um, to, to, to that consultancy that I originally had my first proper job with, um, so I suppose I was very linear to start with in getting to that first proper job. And then it all went a little bit more squiggly, I suppose. Yeah. And how, how was it when you returned to the actuarial side? Did it all sort of come straight back to you? Or was there a period of having to, you know, get, get your maths brain working again and, and that kind of stuff? That's a really good question, James, because actually it wasn't plain sailing re-entering the actuarial world when i was you know out of the industry i was studying kind of philosophy and theology and all sorts of things um so it was it was quite a a shift of gear to go back into the numerical stuff again and i suppose yeah i I suppose one yardstick you could use for for how I found it would would be to look at the actuarial exams and where I had kind of been very fortunate to have a a really great success rate in terms of achieving exemptions, um, and and exams before that shift, I I found it a little bit more of a slog than on returning to the actuarial career with it with more than a couple of stumbles, I suppose, in terms of those latter stage exams. Um, So it took me a little while to find my groove. But what I would say is that that, that's the numeracy piece, but actually that the wider consulting and life experience and business acumen piece, actually, I, I had really found my footing just from having taken that time away and just having, I suppose, grown up. Um, in that interim period as well. So I suppose there was pluses and minuses to it, but I suppose that traditional yardstick of of actuarial profession of actuarial progression, I should say, um, yeah, was was a little bit more of of a challenge, but equally, thankfully, one I I stuck at and and ultimately got there. Yeah, you must have been in a slightly unique position in terms of you had a lot more life experience by that point and. Um, but you must have felt that you were playing catch up in some respects in terms of the the technical side of work. Were you did you fit in with the team or were you were, were you sort of on a team of people five years younger and were there challenges there or was it how how was that experience? It it's interesting because when I did kind of move roles and, and ultimately move to the UK, one of the questions I was asked was, you know, how will you feel about 
basically reporting to people who are potentially five years younger than you. Um, and for me, I ju- I, it wasn't really a, an issue for me. They, it's that um, old adage, that comparison is the, the, the thief of joy. You know, like I wasn't kind of cognizant of that every day that these people are younger than me. These, you know, people that you report to, you're reporting to them because they have more experience, um, they have more expertise potentially, or you know they're significantly talented and got there quite quickly, or wh- whatever whatever the dynamics might be. Um, you know, those people are you're reporting to them for a reason. And I've been very fortunate that I've I've always worked for companies where that kind of skill set I developed for that five years out of the profession is valued and and companies are always looking for someone who's able to communicate effectively able to listen to clients able to kind of step back and assess situations in a in a unique way you know all of those skills are are valued so i i've been fortunate in that it it kind of didn't crop up as an issue um that kind of i suppose sense of of lagging behind i being honest in my in my lower moments when i hadn't got the result i wanted in an exam i might have spent a day or two wallowing (laughs) (laughs) in you know oh i'm so behind i'm so behind but ultimately you know i think um yeah i think i was fortunate to work with great people who valued the skills that i had and were very happy to help me develop the skills i needed to um so yeah no it was it, it was never an issue i've been fortunate that way as you're talking, I'm thinking actually over the years I've helped a few people who took career breaks for, for different reasons. Sometimes it was to start a family, for example, or or to, to go off travelling, whatever mm. it may be. How did you sort of overcome the challenges that you faced around exams? Uh, did you use any particular techniques to sort of get that bit up and going? Is there any advice you'd maybe give to people that did take a break and are trying to get, get back into it after a, a few years? Hi guys, we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second. Just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts, I specialise in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves, and I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options. I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. So I suppose, first of all, I wouldn't hold myself up as, a, as an incredible example. <laughs> um, but I suppose what I, what I did do was I, I allowed myself, I, I talked about kind of wallowing for a few days and actually I think sometimes you need to allow yourself just feel the disappointment yeah. but then my strategy was to be radically honest with myself about you know what what didn't work there what what am I not doing I think sometimes there can be a temptation to blame everyone yeah yeah apart from yourself and in fact you shouldn't be blaming anyone <laughs> um it just it just is what it is and and it, it's a specific set of circumstances to return to actuarial exams because they're a 
they're a, a thing in themselves, I think. Um, so I always wanted to be really radically honest with myself. But the other thing that I did was I reached out to kind of selected, trusted individuals to ask for their advice. So be they people that I worked with or even some of the the tutors and professors that I had back in my time in Dublin City University. I'm still in touch with some of those people actually because I appreciated their wisdom. And I even if it just might literally be a two email exchange of I failed this one again, what do you think I should do? Yeah. And you know, there just might be some wisdom there. Um so it was kind of keeping that open mindedness and reminding myself constantly that an exam that you find challenging or you might be you know failing a couple of times that's that's not a a final assessment of you as uh an individual as a future actuary um in your kind of day job so to speak it's not an assessment of that um it's not a final assessment of that it's an assessment of of your preparedness and your your knowledge for that specific exam on that day um and the other piece of advice i would have is that if if you're if you're struggling a little bit and you know you're 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 notching up a couple of fails, the temptation can be to get very cynical about the system overall. And I would say that I think that the actuarial exams do their job because I can see the difference between the me who failed the first time and me who passed. I I, I can see why. Um, so I, I, I do think they do their job really, really well. So I think staying away from that, that cynicism, um, as, as difficult as it can be when it's quite emotive, um, I think it stood me in good stead, but equally (laughs) I'll put a a caveat in true actuarial style that that's kind of based on my own experience. Um, and that, that would be my advice because I think that mindset piece is really important after that, everything else will flow. You know, if, if you've got through some of the actuarial exams, you're clearly very capable. And, and that's that's not in question. It's it's kind of everything else. Yeah. I, I, I had a conversation only yesterday, actually, with somebody who they had about seven years of experience, but only a handful of exams. And when I was asking them about their progress and, and any reasons for it, they weren't really taking ownership of it. They were they were sort of saying, "Oh, I've missed a few sessions along the way, and I I, I don't know if my exam technique is quite right, and and these kind of things." But I, I kind of I was really open with them, and I said, "I think if you're going, if you do want to make a move, and you're putting yourself in an interview situation, you kind of need to own your 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 progress more, and sort of confidently say." actually I've really thought about it this is how many sessions I I actually missed but the ones that I did take if it's an issue with study technique you've had time to maybe make adjustments or to reach out and ask for help and and maybe that's the bit they were less confident to to go and actually seek help and instead just keep trying and keep failing and get get a bit overwhelmed by it so it's 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 interesting to see to hear other people's um, approaches but I think sort of for me it sort of makes sense that if you if you are struggling, it's trying to work out why and then seeking help. If if you do want to qualify, you don't have to qualify. There's, you know, there are other options out there if you, if the exams are just not for you. Well, exactly. I think to pick up on, on two things there, I think we're, we're really fortunate that the actuarial profession, we're 
we're all quite helpful to each other. So if you reach out to someone and say, I'm struggling with this, can, can you give me half an hour of your time to chat through? People will say yes. You know, people are always happy to help. And I think that's a, that's a great thing to be able to say because that's that's been my experience. I've had some people be very, very kind to me. Um, but I think picking up on that point as well, that there are great opportunities for people who have done some of the actuarial exams, but but opted for whatever reason not to continue with them. So I work with some of the most extraordinary people in my current role who haven't completed the actuarial exams um, but do an incredible job and you know their value add in my view is is priceless and actually that the, the time that they spent doing those exams it's it's never in vain and particularly if you if you do carry on in a role where you're working with actuaries yeah. because <laughs> from the outside looking in James I don't know <laughs> what your experience is as well with this but you know sometimes we're, we, we can be a, a particular bunch to to get to know and to, to to work with so having that appreciation of kind of part of our journey um, and part of that that kind of expertise that we've built up um, I think can be really helpful too so I think yeah I think for if I was to speak to that person as well I would say look if, if you're thinking of not finishing the exams it's not time spent in vain so um at the beginning so you're 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 in a a corporate team you spend a lot of your time looking at member options and and that kind of thing what was the journey from doing a little bit of everything to over time developing a bit of a specialism finding out what interests you more what interests you less was that sort of a natural thing or did you do your research and, and sort of aim to go in a particular direction um that's a great way of putting it James because I think at some point the researcher in me fell away a little bit okay (laughs) and I became someone who kind of went went a bit more with the flow um so I did I think at the point where I moved to the UK and joined kind of a smaller consultancy um I found that really really great because I kind of dove in and whatever I was asked to do wherever they needed help I said yeah I'll I'll I roll my sleeves up and help here. Okay. Um, and that was how I kind of discovered what I was more passionate about and maybe less passionate about, I suppose. Okay. Um, so, so that's how it worked for me. And I think some of it as well is people based as well. Again, I keep on talking about how we're a very helpful profession, but there's an awful lot of people who have been very kind to me in terms of, spotting something in me that you know there's potential there for something and they have kind of kind of pointed at me and said oi you I think you'd be good for this project come here and give me a hand with it and you know that's how some of these things start and um you know kind of in terms of member options and I do a bit of work um on GMP equalization um they are there are things that started off because you know a a client of mine was going through an an exercise or going through a project like that or because somebody kind of picked me and said oh look john come help and again for the benefit of the the listener who might not know what i'm talking about um member options are is kind of what it 
says on the tin in terms of it's it's um either one-off projects or kind of a more long-standing arrangement where um members of pension schemes are given access to kind of change their benefits in some sort of way so that might be to completely and utterly change the benefit um, and move it out of uh, the, the the pension scheme altogether or it might be to kind of change how it increases in the future um or you know different things like that um so they're that's the member options piece um gmp equalization is another term i use there and without without getting too much in the details essentially it's to um it's work to rectify uh historic inequality between males and females in how they earned this particular type of pension called gmp um so it's it's something that had been rumbling in the industry for literally about 30 years and um, we've had a court ruling that's given us clarity on it now so the whole industry is essentially working to make sure that we rectify this historic inequality in line with the ruling i suppose i would say as quickly as possible um because we all like to rectify equality where we can um so so that's that's the type of work that we're doing um and yeah it's it's an exciting time to be part of the pension industry and, and part of those projects as well as all the other myriad of stuff that that goes on yeah yeah so so it sounds as though it, when if we come back to variety you can just get lucky the clients you're already working on goes through a particular exercise and 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 you see a bit more um it sounds as though in your case though there's definitely an element of putting yourself out there b- being a bit more proactive perhaps in terms of building relationships with people in different teams saying yes to things and i can i may be wrong but i can imagine a situation where maybe you're doing that but there might be someone who's shying away from that a bit and you know seeing less as a result would that be fair to say and and therefore Put your hand up and get noticed and, and you might you might discover new things a bit more quickly i agree i agree because i think in in some ways you you create the opportunities for yourself if you if you want them and i think i'm fortunate that i'm the type of person and maybe it's because i stepped out of the industry and then came back and i'm a little bit more gung-ho about kind of asking for for opportunities i would like or any of that sort of stuff um so i think what you said is true i think you don't necessarily if you're on the other end of the spectrum to me naturally in terms of how you might approach things i i wouldn't say to someone oh just kind of completely swing the pendulum the other way that actually there's there's a huge movement i think in the industry happening around mentoring and advocating for people and it's a much I suppose, quote unquote, quieter way for you to kind of exert more control over over your your journey. But equally, it's really, really powerful. So if if you're currently, if if someone's listening and they're currently doing some work and it's taking up a lot of their time and they're not particularly passionate about it, all you need to do is tell one trusted person who, you know, preferably would be a little bit further down that career journey than you so they can kind of exercise a little bit of, of of influence on your behalf but all it takes is one little conversation to to, to potentially change all of that yeah. um and i think having a mentor who 
you can kind of talk that out with first and kind of workshop it a little bit and then having an advocate which may or may not be the same person but someone who will kind of again do what it says on the tin advocate for you um in different conversations and and get you involved in things that you might not be currently getting um i think is really really powerful um but i i always think of um i'm going to do a bit of a shout out here to to an actuary based in america christine hofbeck and she wrote a book called winning conditions okay and one of the things she talks about is if every day you put a marble in a jar so essentially you're 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 planting the seed for an opportunity every day if you can every day do something that you will thank yourself for in a month in a year in five years just something a little bit bigger picture than just getting your to-do list done that if you put one in the jar every day soon enough you'll have a big jar just of little opportunities little seeds you've sown and and that kind of creates what what she terms kind of winning conditions um so i always i always think of that at the end of the day i'm like oh, did, did i put a marble in the jar today <laughs> and and don't get me wrong there's a lot of days i don't but if if you can bear it in mind i think it, yeah, it, yeah. it can be really helpful that's really interesting can you give any examples of a, a marble or two from your perspective that you've put in the jar I, I think sometimes if you're in contact with someone about, you know, maybe a potential future opportunity, be that somebody internally, like we've just been speaking about in terms of you want to get involved in something, or somebody who you think could really benefit from your help and you're kind of chatting with them and it goes a bit quiet, I think a little marble in the jar is to just even if they haven't responded to you, just send another little follow-up message and say, oh, did you see my message? You know, do you want to have a chat? Can I help? Because in your mind, you're thinking, oh, well, they're just ignoring me because they're not interested. Whereas actually 99% of the time, they're just busy. Something went wonky on their on their inbox and it was marked as red and they hadn't actually read it or something. And actually they're more than happy to have a conversation and they just haven't spotted it. So it's those little things where you say, do you know what, I'm going to just, I'm going to go a little bit beyond myself here and out of the comfort zone. I'm going to put a little marble in and and do something like that. And I find that even even if you never hear back from them again <laughs> and you do end up getting ghosted, you, you have done that for yourself. And actually that, that, that has its own benefits as well without kind of sounding too cheesy. It does actually just help you feel better about yourself every day. Yeah, it can work the other way. You could reach out to somebody. It, it might be they haven't got in touch because they're struggling with something and by you reaching out, they might open up and you might be able to help them. Exactly. I was, I was going to ask later, but it's it's topical now. So do, do you have mentors yourself and do you, are you a mentor for anyone else out there? Yes. Yeah, so I've been really, really, and I keep on using this word fortunate and maybe it's because I've been putting those metaphorical marbles in, in jars, but I've been very fortunate to have some really great mentors my my very first manager that i had in my first proper job um you know was extremely extremely kind and good to me and even when i was taking that break from the actuarial profession to pursue something different um 
I would always be kind of welcomed back over the, the the summer holidays to kind of help on a project and help kind of keep me a little bit in the actuarial world. And it was always very encouraging and very kind. So that was that was really good. And I think then since moving to the UK, I've been really fortunate to have mentors who, yeah, like I say, would kind of point at you and say, oh, I think you I'd, I'd love you to to help me out with this project because I can I can see potential in you. Um, so I've been very fortunate to have those those sorts of mentors. Um, I think in my current role as well, um, I, 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 there's a real culture of mentorship, be it kind of that more informal piece it doesn't have to be or oh, sitting down for our mentoring yeah. session every you know second month on a thursday from three to four but it's yeah. more in that informal sense of pe- people will reach out um so i think i'm very fortunate that way so i do offer mentoring to a, a couple of people as well and it's 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 always an interesting thing to do because you, you don't want to be setting yourself up as an expert when you're becoming a mentor as opposed to a mentee um but equally yeah i find it really rewarding to to mentor other people um it's a mixture of that more informal and and more formal so actually i'm part of the 30 percent clubs mentoring program as well um so i'm kind of in that more formal mentoring program um with someone who she actually works in a completely different industry to 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 finance um and is very much at the the big the beginning of what i think is going to be a huge amazing career um so that's that's been really insightful because actually as a mentor you learn an awful lot simply by trying to articulate the lessons that you have learned along the way um it's really really valuable and it also gives you an appreciation of how different it is to be embarking on your career now rather than 5 10 15 years ago like it it has all changed so much that it gives you that appreciation um but yeah me- mentoring has been huge for me and again that that advocating piece as well which is subtly different um again I've been fortunate to have advocates as well um so yeah it's it's been really really great and just to reiterate I think the pensions industry and the actuarial profession are are good at this and actually there's even more and more focus on this now and it's it's wonderful to see and hopefully we can go from strength to strength in that regard absolutely um one of the things i'm i'm keen i guess the recruiter in me is 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 interested in uh the fact that you've worked at more than one company and i guess it's quite it's always been a challenge for people to to sort of get to grips with why you might move how it might be different at at another company um my view is that generally speaking the vast majority all if not most actuarial consultancies in the UK are brilliant places to work brilliant people lovely cultures there's not really such thing as a bad place to work it's all about being in the right place for you at the right time so um so it's not about comparing one to another and saying oh this is this this was better this was worse but I'm interested in how you found the experience of of of, of moving so I just wondered if you think back to the point where you first thought, you know, everything's going going perfectly well here, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I just wonder if there's something else out there. When when did that happen and, and what was the trigger for you, 
you know, potentially exploring opportunities externally. Yeah, so I suppose to put a, put a bit of a context on it. So before I I was in my I'm in my current role. I was in a role for approximately almost five years um, previous to that, which kind of spanned being a student, qualifying a worldwide pandemic. Um, you know, a lot happened in that five years, and, and yeah. the reason I give that context is is that was. I think I was I was part of that whole movement that we kind of heard about on the news generally and the FT and everyone was talking about kind of the great resignation and all of that. Um, and again, like you say, there's, there's no bad place to work in the actuarial consulting pensions world. Yeah. Um, but I think what what I was doing was thinking, God, I'm I'm almost five years here. I've really grown. I've really developed. You know what? What next? What? What might? You know, it's really good here. What might be even better somewhere else? And I choose those words carefully. Might be because at that time you don't you don't know whether it will be. Hmm. Um, and even better, like that's a big ask because if things are good, how are they going to get better? Yeah. Um, so. That was my that was my position. I was kind of going, well, I'm qualified now. The working world is quite different. Um, you know what what's out there? And I remember, and James, you might um, <laughs> you might empathise with hearing actuaries do this as well. That <laughs> I had, I didn't quite have a spreadsheet, but I had a piece of paper with pros and cons when I was Brilliant. kind of looking at. <laughs> moving and not moving i'm glad i'm glad you approved james because <laughs> i think it's important to say that you staying where you are is still a really great option yeah um you know if you're fortunate to be in that position that you are just looking about what could potentially be better um so that was kind of what what spurred me on was just thinking god you know what's next what what could i do differently what might I be better at my what might I enjoy more and what you know what might just suit me better in this kind of whole new post pandemic working world yeah 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 I mean I, I stayed at one company for the best part of 17 years so it always felt a little bit strange you know helping people move every five years or so and I'm I'm not doing the same I've, I've obviously now, now made a move but yeah you absolutely don't have to move and quite often you'll see me posting about you know having conversations internally and, and and improving things that way so so when you were having having these thoughts and going through that process did you have much of an idea of what other companies had to offer did you have perceptions of the other consultancies what they might be like to work for or, or was that quite challenging um I think I had perceptions of of what other companies were like and I think to get more specific I think it was perceptions and misconceptions as well okay um so in my case to give an example I moved from kind of a more medium-sized consultancy to a big big firm yeah and I think they're can be misconceptions about those bigger firms um, just in terms of culture and how things operate um, there can be this misconception that it's it's not quite that same kind of team feel um, and that friendly feel which just to say 
I've had the most amazing experience of the of the culture in my my current role in a big company. Um, so I think that I just give that as an example of the the kind of ideas that we can get in our head. So I think I I did find it challenging, but just again by by asking the question of you know those helping me with the move, um, but also using kind of interview processes and everything to to, to gauge that. Um, yeah was how I navigated it um and that's that's something again I I I don't want to come across as I think I know everything here James but you know one of the pieces of advice I would give is to really consider the interview process as a two-way process because the, the the company and I think particularly knowing the actuarial pensions consulting world the company want you to get to know them as much as they want to get to know you and so so remember that and ask those questions and even if it is just that you would like to have a chat with somebody who's not involved with the interview process but would you know operates at a similar level to where you're aspiring to be at the firm or involved in the type of work or whatever the case may be or just somebody else just to have an informal chat with them ask and yeah. in my experience, it was never any bother. And actually, it was really welcomed. And it it, it might sound all a little bit woo-woo in a way, but it does just give you a sense of what it's like um, yeah. to, to work at that firm. I can, I can imagine in an interview, the likelihood is you're in front of people who are very well-versed in meeting people, answering questions in a certain way yes. painting everything in a certain light but actually if you go out and you meet people whether it's just people you happen to know and you can do it outside of the process altogether or if it's just catching them off guard and saying actually before I make a decision could I could I could I chat to this person who I think is at my level that person is going to tell you what it's really like and and that sounds like very good advice and people do do it but it's not a staple every time and perhaps it should be. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps it should be. And and actually, when now that I'm reflecting in real time, I think all of the firms that I have joined, not necessarily all the firms that I haven't joined didn't do it, but all the firms that I have joined have proactively offered that. Um, and I think even doing that really reiterates everything like you say everything that those people who are kind of well versed in the recruitment space everything they're saying is just reiterated then when you sit down to have the informal cup of coffee with with the person who's kind of one step removed from it um so so yeah i think it's and i do think it's challenging and i think i i'm always really conscious of always just painting a rosy picture of things that actually determining whether or not you want to make a move and then actually making that move it it's not all rosy like it it's and i'm not going to say it's difficult but there, there's things about it that are are hard you know if you've developed relationships with with people in your current employer and you, you work with a great team and you know you're saying goodbye to that that's hard you know joining a new company you know that that sense of unknown that's that's difficult um you know who do you ask about you know <laughs> resetting your password for your laptop or whatever it is you know there's all of that kind of 
being the new kid on the block um, type of stuff for the new role. So it's not to say it's it's easy, but I think if you have, if you can hand on heart say, you know, I've done my pros and cons list, I've done my spreadsheet, you know, I've had those conversations, I've really deliberated long and hard, that, that helps, it just, that helps just make it easier. Um, but yeah, I do think I, I feel like I, I I should make that clear that it's not it's not all rosy and it takes an awful lot of of hard work and you're 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 putting yourself out there in a lot of respects to make a move. Um, yeah. So yeah, be easy on yourself if you're doing that too. Perfect. Um, can we talk about LinkedIn? We mentioned it um, at the beginning. Recruiters generally live in LinkedIn, so we're kind of used to it, but it's always very pleasant to see pensions actuaries or any actuary using it in a similar in a similar way to sort of tell us what they're up to or, or however they want to use it. Um, what, what's your approach to LinkedIn? So my approach to LinkedIn is, <laughs> I don't want to call it haphazard because that's being very mean to myself. There's connotations in that word, but I suppose I'm a bit more casual in, in how I, I use LinkedIn. Um, I... Uh, my my attitude is that if I would like to read this, then I'll post it. But if mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to read it, why why would I bother? And I think for me, it's about taking pensions issues, putting them into readable language that either kind of inspire questions or debates in those that are in the in the industry. But equally, if there's somebody who you know, isn't a pensions expert that is part of my network and sees it, they are happy to, they they might engage with it and it might make them think slightly differently. They might, you know, phone their pension scheme administrator, they might contact their employer or something like that. So I suppose I'm casual and I cast the net quite wide. Um, But I do agree that I think actuaries should be seen more on on the likes of LinkedIn. I think as a profession, we have an awful lot of value to add to conversations about, you know, pensions, insurance, all of that stuff, but also the the economy more generally, and also kind of working life and work-life balance and all of that type of thing. The 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 nature of our work is that it's it can be quite intense. Um, it's technical in nature, um, and actually, we, we have our own sets of of challenges in terms of work life balance and all of that too. So I think that should be spoken about more from an actuarial perspective. And actually, that thinking to this podcast as well, there's there's a whole specific thing about actuarial career journeys that, thankfully, James, you're rectifying with this podcast that we do need to hear more about. Yeah, I I think a lot of, understandably, a lot of people sort of LinkedIn is something they have a profile and I don't know how often people open it, but it's almost something if you're looking for a job, go on there because you know you're going to have 10 messages a day from from recruiters and have a quick scroll through, you know, if nothing jumps out, that's it, that's your LinkedIn done for for a month or so. Um, But I think actuaries could be using it to help their own you know help help their visibility with their clients do, do you when you're posting who who is your target audience is it your clients and does it does it help 
you as a consultant? I'll, I'll start with your second question because <laughs> it do, it does it does help me in my job. It definitely does, and I think particularly as I was qualifying and then newly qualified and kind of progressing, LinkedIn was great for me to develop my voice a bit to mm-hmm. actually figure out how to articulate things in a very straightforward yet technically accurate way um so yes it does really help me and then i think that that hopefully segues nicely into the audience which is my my audience is my clients it's also my peers and it's also prospective clients as well so it, 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 it I, I'm, I'm trying to do a lot and as I say it to you James maybe I maybe I need to have a bit of a strategy but <laughs> I think it's 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 really yeah it is about getting those messages across and and it, it's funny you mentioned that I actually it was last week a client of mine we were you know having a a, a catch-up about you know something that they needed help with and the first thing they said to me, they said, oh, I was eating my lunch and I was scrolling LinkedIn in your post yeah. with the first one that came up and I really, really enjoyed it. And it's great for me to see everything else that you're doing, both in terms of inside pensions, then kind of wider at your 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 firm, but then also wider in your, your life because sometimes, James, my dogs make an appearance on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it's... It, but it was it was really lovely to 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 hear that because you know while people aren't kind of liking and commenting and posting all the time like they might do on some of the other social media platforms that they're, they're hanging around they're they're scrolling yeah. they're they're eating their lunch scrolling they're on the train they're scrolling if they have reception you know it's there are people still seeing it even if you're not kind of getting that immediate feedback from them in terms of likes and and comments um so i i I completely agree with you i think sometimes people are a little bit worried about commenting and certainly posting because linkedin bridges that gap between is it social media is it work am i representing me or my company if i say this do i need to seek approval but i think the way to think about it is if you're speaking with a client no one's over your shoulder saying what you can or can't say in that conversation you naturally gauge that yourself and if if your target audience is your client base then you you, you're already having those conversations and just putting some of those thoughts in a nice digestible way saying something interesting adding your voice to it so it's you rather than a consultant at company x i think it adds masses of value and i'm increasingly being asked by a few clients of mine how they can encourage their people to to use it a bit more but I think it starts with knowing who your audience is because for most you know as as much as from a recruitment perspective they'd love everyone to be talking about what a great place it is to 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 work um there that's that's not the that's not a motivator for a part qualified actuary they should be thinking about okay if I'm on this journey to becoming a a consultant and being known in, in in my market that's your starting point and it's okay let's build my network around that am I connecting to enough people who are relevant and then what are the conversations they're interested in and it's if you break it down that way it gets a much simpler it adds value in the ways that you've described and um, yeah it just just feels like it shouldn't just be recruiters plus a handful of other people I think everyone could use LinkedIn to their to their benefit yes and I think the the other thing is that 
in 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 demonstrating your passion for what you do and kind of sharing little bits of stories around what you are doing day to day and how you're helping your clients or, or whatever it is you, you might be saying there it's you're you're demonstrating that your firm is somewhere where people will thrive and be happy and be fulfilled so actually it's it's kind of a case of well show me don't just tell me because if if the, 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 there's there's an element of if if you're if all you're saying is come and work here it's great that that doesn't have the same resonance as no. somebody just observing you on LinkedIn for a year and saying oh well John is happy where he is it seems like a great place to work maybe I should think about going there Spot on. it's yeah. it's that softer piece and that's that's the power of LinkedIn is actually it's it's all that kind of intangible stuff that goes on kind of behind the scenes in the community that you build and you know opportunities and connections can come from the the most interesting places um so yeah i i think i agree with everything you're saying there i think it's i think it's hugely valuable um when, when done in the right way and actually just when done in a really authentic way rather than anything too contrived yeah and john you're you're always how uh, not sure how to put it happy um is is a, is a good word whether it is your linkedin presence whether it is just every time we speak you're always sort of buzzing in a good mood super positive um how do you do it is it is, is it work that's driving that is it what you do outside of work how do you find a work-life balance um you're doing something right well well, yeah, well thank you yeah and I, I think i i think i'm fortunate in that i am kind of very fulfilled in the work that i do and i think I'm, I'm almost, yeah, I think I'm, I'm almost driven by the fact that I always do what I want to be doing at the time. So, you know, when I was focused on being an actuary, I was doing that. Then for those five years where I took the time out, that was, that was what I felt was the right thing to do because otherwise I would regret it um and then I came back to the actuarial world so I think I I I, me knowing I'm I'm doing what I'm passionate about and what I'm fulfilled by that that really helps fuel me in terms of career um and then I think in terms of of general life yeah I'm I'm really fortunate that I have a, a great kind of support network around me like I said I've got three dogs that they have to be walked sometimes separately that's a whole other podcast james um <laughs> so there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of stuff outside of work that that keeps me fulfilled but i think two things i'd add would be that you know some days to be to be very real about it there's some days where how i'm actually feeling is probably less chirpy than i might portray but i'm a great believer in best foot forward and you know if 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 I, you know, have the washing up to do at lunchtime, that, that's my problem. That's 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 not my client's problem. I'm not going to project that onto them. So there, there's a certain amount of kind of self-awareness that that goes into that. Um, but but also, I I do try and bring a bit of balance into things and say, you know, it's it's not always. It's not always rosy, and there, there, there are, there are challenges, and nobody's perfect. I'm sure if you 
talk to everyone I work with, they wouldn't say I'm perfect. But as long as we're all striving, I think that's that's the important thing as well. And I'm just really fortunate as well that I work with great people. You know, you spend so much time with the people that you work with that I'm fortunate to be on on great teams and always have kind of been part of great teams. Um, so yeah, very kind of you to say, James. Thank you, and and right back at you. You're always <laughs> you're always smiling when I'm talking to you as well. Um, but yes. Thank you. <laughs> so John, I'd I'd like to just finish up with three more questions, if I may. Um, I would likely ask these yeah. questions to um to 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 everyone. Um, the first one is, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting their career in the profession now? My advice to somebody starting out would be to just have a good attitude. And I know that sounds, again, quite cliched, but we we work in an industry where everyone is smart and capable. But actually, in some ways, the key way you can differentiate yourself is to have a can-do attitude, uh, you know, use those problem-solving skills to the best of your ability. And yeah, just, just try it all and and you know you'll you'll stand yourself in good stead you'll you won't have any regrets brilliant second question is how do you see the role of a uk pensions actually evolving and what part do you think people at your level have to play in that oh james you kept the big hard question until nearly the end didn't you (laughs) (laughs) um i think it's it's so difficult, and again, this is going to be a very actuarial answer. It's so difficult to predict where things are going to go, um, because the the world is changing so much um, that it, it it's hard to really be able to predict with any certainty how things are going to look. And I think even the span of my career, things have changed so much. Um, but I think I think what I can see changing is that as members of kind of those DB schemes that for, for the benefit of the, the listeners have kind of a more guaranteed income in retirement, as people of those schemes start to retire and 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 um, kind of leave the pension system, I suppose, there's there's a whole generation of people coming that have a less certain um, retirement provision probably inadequate um we actually have a a a big issue around um gender equality as well that that females very much lag behind males so i think there's a huge challenge there that i would be hopeful that actuaries will pay a huge part in in solving um and i think people at my level have a huge part to play because we, we have to innovate, we have to be creative, we have to put our heads together. As an industry, we need to put our heads together and just brainstorm and chat and kind of put kind of market competitive forces aside and actually work collectively for the common good because that's, again, the, 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 the origins of the actuarial profession come from that. And um, so we do need to stay true to that. So I think I think there's a huge responsibility on actuaries at my level to do that and i would like to think we're rising to that challenge i think there's some great debates going on at the moment um and yeah the future is bright but yeah lots of work to do i'd say as well brilliant and final question uh what are you looking forward to over the next 12 months and that can be work related or non non non-work related 
can I cheat and do a work-related one and a non-work-related one? Absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, so my non-work-related one is I, I love to travel. So um, I am actually going to be visiting Niagara Falls oh, wow. soon, um, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, it's And I've, I, I was there back in my university days but kind of going back again i i'm really really excited because it's it's just a great place so i love i love travel so you know i i like to work really hard when i'm working but equally i love to you know when when i'm off the clock i love to kind of <laughs> make the most of those um those annual leave days and, and have some adventures um then work related i i i'm really excited about helping my clients so these are the the, the the sponsors that stand behind these big pension schemes i'm really excited about helping them think about all of the various options that they have to to navigate those pension schemes to to their end um so i mentioned earlier about the way that you can basically move that pension scheme to an insurer that is one solution but there's actually a whole raft of other things that you can do um and for some clients are it's a much better option than transferring it to an insurer so i'm i'm really really excited and it probably makes me sound like a real pensions actuarial nerd but i i'm really excited about helping my clients make the right decisions for them because we're in a real era of no one size fits all now in uk pensions and yeah i just think it's a really exciting time and i know the teams that i work on as well we're all really excited about kind of helping helping out in that space as well yeah yeah i love how passionate you are about what you do i mean that's that's the dream right loving what you do is is uh i was going to say the secret to happiness but i'm sure there's more to it than that but you know what i mean it's it's brilliant to see and thank you so much for for sharing with us no no problem and i think equally for you you know i think even you setting up this this podcast it really is a, a passion project for you as well so um thank you very much for for having me on board and um kind of telling my story and sharing what kind of nuggets of wisdom I might have um so so thank you and just to wish you all the best with it as well as you you kick off your your podcast brilliant and um, John I do have one more question which is um if anybody would like to get in touch with you and just ask you a couple of questions or or ask you you know about about potentially forming a mentor relationship are you happy for people to reach out to you and and what's the best way for them to do that if so of course, James. Of course, I'm always happy to have a chat. As I think this podcast episode will will demonstrate, I do love a chat. We could be here all day, James. <laughs> um, so yes, the best place I think to reach out to me without kind of giving into a again another cliche about myself would be via LinkedIn. Um, so if you kind of do a little search for me as well um, on LinkedIn, um, I will also put a link in the in the podcast store and wherever you're downloading this as well um yeah just pop pop me a message and I'm, I'm more than happy to chat but please do as well plug 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 here and um, do kind of find me in any case on linkedin and, and and follow me if you want to learn a little bit more about pensions john all that remains to say is thank you very very much it's been a pleasure thank you so much james and like i say all the best with with the podcast series thank you 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Actuarial People. Please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review. If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.